Okay, hello everyone, welcome to the Rebonus Podcast. I'm the host, Donato Surbonas, and I, I'm joined by two players. First of all, my beloved co-host from Karshiaka, Izmir, who, uh, who is coming from a, of a strong 32-point night against Besiktas. So give some applause to Mr. Eric McCollum. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. We're hearing a lot of applause right now, <laughs> of course, from our viewers and listeners. <laughs> and uh, we have a debut on their bonus podcast. One of the physically strongest people uh, that we had in Europe. Now he's far in, in Japan, in Tokyo. I would say a hidden basketball freak, Arturas Godaitis from Alvark, Tokyo. Welcome, yeah. Arturas. Hello, thank you for having me today. Uh, from the Asians, of course, I'm the strongest one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We just noticed your T-shirt before the show, and yeah. you know you you put that on yourself following Victor Vembanyama game against Nikola Jokic, and maybe there's some special occasion that you're wearing, uh, David Robinson. Well, I just like the, his game, and uh, that's it. Uh, I found this T-shirt in the uh, some stories and in my size, so that's the the case to buy it. You know, so nothing special about it. But of course, uh, matchup when Mayama with the uh, Jokic is interesting one. But uh, I don't put those very close. Still, for Victor, need to improve a lot. So that we will see what happens. Did you guys have any chance to watch any of highlights? Because we're just uh, talking about uh, it f the following morning. Basically, the game ended in two or three hours ago. <sighs> For me personally, no, but I have a great time uh, zone in here in Tokyo to watch NBA games. It's possible that is only one competition. Can, what can I watch? Because uh, well, the time zone for EuroLeague and Euro Cup and any league is really not good for me. But some basketball I'm watching uh, uh, overseas, NBA especially, but not that game today. So. Yeah. But in general, uh, I don't know how 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 finished that game. Tell me about it. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see the highlights either to watch it. Um, but you know, usually I have lead pass and I can go back and check it. But the Spurs usually aren't high on my to watch list, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> they lost 12 in a row right now. It's the third longest losing streak. Uh, Jokic had season high 39 points with 11 rebounds and 9 assists. Vembanyama had 22 points, 11 rebounds, 6 steals, 4 blocks, and 24 minutes of play. And Denver won by 12. So it was pretty good one. Jokic told something that, you know, he is still 19, but he's great and he will definitely uh, change the game. So that's some nice stuff coming from one of the best or right now, he's the currently best uh, NBA uh, player. And Jokic, I mean, he, he watched a lot of basketball. There's this, um, let's say, theory, there's this joke that he doesn't care about basketball at all, that basketball is work for him, that he finished his job on the court, and that's it. It's all about horse racing, but it's not true. I, I remember before the season, I did a podcast with uh, Denver Nuggets assistant GM, Tom Thomas Barchettis, and he mentioned that he's a basketball freak. He just recently watched uh, Jelko Bradovich basketball clinic. He watched a lot of basketball and, you know, it, it translates on the court, not just because of his feeling toward the game, the way he reads the game, the feel he has for the game, but also it's coming from, from big basketball knowledge that he also gets watching games and, and learning from. 
coaches like Jelko Bradovic or, or whatever. So, yeah, let's let's break some stereotypes. And we we might break some stereotypes about Japan basketball league. And I love to have Arturas on this podcast to give some us some glimpse of uh, Japanese basketball league because. It's a very interesting and promising market. It's a very growing league. A lot of ambitious plans uh, on their map. They want to to become, I think, the second best uh, league in the world. Of course, uh, behind the NBA, they're about to build a new, a lot of new arenas and stuff. And the first difference that I actually felt already by myself was when I was scheduling this podcast. And usually in Europe, it goes like this. Uh, with Eric or with 95% of other basketball players who play in Europe, it's like this. So what's your schedule on Monday? Oh, let me wait until Sunday night and I will tell you, you know, when we have a practice, what's our schedule for the next week, and then we will decide. When I asked Arturas about his Monday schedule, he responded with the schedule which goes until January 7th. And it's a day-to-day schedule <laughs> with games, with practices, on-court on practices, lifting practices. Uh, one or two weeks in advance, uh, he even had a team dinner and team lunch uh, set on his schedule. Wow. So, wow. Now, now you spoil me that I, I, I show you the, all the plan of my my team practices but okay uh yeah i mean <laughs> in japan is is really like this because uh, they like to plan they like to be always on time and uh, is the like rule to to know everything you know month ahead so usually we receiving this uh uh schedule like uh, one week before the upcoming month so it's crazy how it is that sounds like a great lead always on time it lets you have a life <laughs> outside of the court you can plan things accordingly hey i, I see some yeah. up and up for japan yeah, i've heard only good things and it you know, just reinforces that thought right here yeah so i mean uh, the league as uh donat has mentioned growing like our team uh, our work team uh, already building the new arena, which is open uh, 2024, 25th season. Season, so it will be huge arena with the practice facility and everything inside there. For example, today after practice, I can eat uh, lunch, uh, dinner uh, over there. I can uh, come before also the meal is there. So I mean the the organization is like in NBA league, really. They are trying their best uh, to make for the players uh, more comfortable, just like everything. If you want, if you have, for example, two practices, you have a, your own room to go to rest after first one. You can eat and go rest to sleep and wake up, just go to the practice, lift, whatever, whatever you want. It's like... Um, amazing stuff over here so uh, you need just play basketball you know and which is a great thing uh, so yeah that's how we and they are. pay well yes and they pay well in japan right now right they do pay well they pay well i mean uh, <laughs> of course for the foreigners for the people with the passport uh, who is because a lot of people here uh after five years you have a possibility to take a passport you know to you have some test uh, of the language and uh, uh, if they are passing this test 
they're getting the passport, which is a big, uh, how to say, priority for the club signed that player. And of course, the salary is going up for the like foreigner local player, you know. So that's that's the case here, and a lot of Americans uh, or half Americans are getting passports. Like uh, we have an example with. Uh, Alex Kirk, he's he has now fifth season over here, and I think he will try to get a Japanese passport. And the thing is, in Europe for him, I think is done. You know, he's done. Like 36, 37, you are done. And here he he will if he will pass the test and have a passport, he can play till 40, 41. You know, it's many examples here uh, that the people with the passport are. Uh, really like uh, signing the contracts which is not like uh, smart <laughs> let's say for the for the euro basketball but they're still playing till 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 40 and then and is the case how the league are going you know okay now is a little bit different because uh, demand is bigger the teams wants to show themselves and we have a break right now in, in, in Japan League for two weeks for the games. And I see that some teams who is not happy with the team roster starts to releasing players, releasing coach. We have a couple of teams. I don't know, Donatas, maybe you are not familiar with the Japanese basketball like market, whatever. But already we have a, like some releases of the players, which is not like... Uh, very normal for 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 Japan uh, teams, you know, because here is the the structure like to keep players if they are not making some troubles or whatever, they're hiring the players like better person is over the, the skills and everything, you know, if the guy is not making some troubles, uh, he is like uh, staying in the team all the time, you know, but now is everything changing because the league wants to grow and the teams if they are starting season bad they are just cutting players and taking new ones so that's the case did, did you notice how curious and interested eric uh, was when you were explaining all these advantages especially for older players in japan he was like oh my god he, he was taking notes already i do really oh, like, you, like you japan look, from what look. i heard but they like big men you know they, they don't really yes, like us little yes. guards so <laughs> you know the case is because uh, uh, like you know the the Japanese guys cannot grow so much, you know. It's it's a funny thing, but it's it is how it is. And most of, of the foreigners are the big guys. It's right, but but if you can shoot, you if you can think a little bit in the court, you definitely can play here till 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 whatever. I don't know. You desire. I don't know if you have forty years old and you still still have a good experience and you are like. Uh, thinking okay with basketball IQ you can play here you know so so that's the case uh, definitely nice to see a lot of good players going there and growing a lead and you know I think it's good that you went there establish yourself and you know it's gonna provide you longevity you know that's to keep play as long as you can as long as you enjoy it and love it man. guys uh, bef before we start with some uh, other bigger topics that includes Filip Petrushev signing by Olympiakos uh, Tyler Dorsey situation 
some rules, changes that I suggest, and and Ethere Messina uh, thing with Pangos and Shabazz Napier. Just a couple of uh, quick uh, questions, and I think it's the first time that I have a, a guard, a point guard, and also a real center on my podcast. I remember we had James Gist on the podcast, but you know, he was he was like at first he was a, a, a foreman, a power forward, then he transitioned to the center position. So now we have this typical center. And I thought about this combination and how important for you guys uh, are each other, you know, for a center, a guard, and for a guard, a good center. So, Eric, let's start uh, from, from, from you. What was the best center or what was your most beloved center that you played with? And what is the first quality that would uh, you put on your priority list speaking about centers if your GM would ask, hey, Eric, who we should bring at center position? I've been blessed to play with a lot of good centers. Um, you know, Jonathan Motley, Devin Booker, Jordan Mickey, um, right now Vernon Carey, um, Angel Delgado. I've been very fortunate um, in the center position. Uh, Raymar Morgan as well. I think um, the best one I played with as far as like for the team and making the game easy for me um, was Devin Booker, um, just a great screener, how he changes angles, how he's able to shoot the mid-range, the three, catch lobs, how he protects the rim. Um, a lot of times you get a big man who can either, you know, pick and cut or pick and pop. and He could do both. Um, and, you know, if I make a mistake on defense, if I get beat, I know he's there to erase it. Um, he also hedges, he screens, he switches. So for me, like just his versatility, all the things he could do, offensively, defensively, and play for the team passing. Devin Booker was a guy who made the game extremely easy for me and got me a lot of easy assists and open looks. It's interesting you mentioned it, him because I think his defense, especially one-on-one uh, -on -one defense, is a bit underrated. I remember when I, ha I was having this conversation with Vasilya Misic, and he told that that guy is so strong. I mean, it's not easy to beat him one-on-one -on -one when he's in shape, when he's in his rhythm. So... That's pretty underrated thing and quality of, of uh, Devin Booker. Great big man. Um, great big man. Arturas, what about you? What, what was your most beloved point guard that uh, made you a good contract the following season? You know, I'm very depending on, on, on point guards. It's not a secret. And uh, I have, let's say, many of them, but a few, few what I can mention is, of course, Mike James, Kevin Pangos. Uh, Sabaj Napier has a big, uh, let's say, to be big uh, prospect, let's say, to be the best of all three because I never seen such a talented player. Really, he was like beast when I first of all see him. But I, I give the credit for Mike, of course, because we have a, such a great season over there. Okay. The people doesn't like how we play, but we was like before my injury, we need to win one or two games. I don't remember of the six and we we will qualify for the EuroLeague playoffs. But happened what happened. But uh, with the Mike, I have still great relationships. He, he is my friend. We are talking sometimes. And and that's that's how it is. With Kevin Pangos, was really easy to play. You... When you are open, he every time pass the ball. But why, what I can say about Mike, for me, was <laughs> very easy to get the offensive rebounds also from from his penetrations because he always 
took two guys with him and it's just really easy to play with him so uh, probably those three names are the best ones what I what I got in my career so and of course the time in Milan was like uh, my best one probably you know that's that's why probably is this 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 pick goes to Mike at top one you know that's a bunch of good point guards actually that you've played that's a yeah very, you know, I was uh, I was very, very, yeah very lucky to to have them all you know and uh, to to see uh, how the real basketball uh, playing you know <laughs> so so yeah. so if 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 you guys if, if Arturas if you find yourself with a free evening wife and kids they're they're sleeping or they're gone uh, which your like team or game do you tune in uh, on your TV. Probably it's, it's Monaco or Red Star or... You know, I'm usually picking the best matchup. Like if two teams are really strong, like El Clasico or whatever, if I don't have this possibility, I mean, if in the game week is not so interesting games, I'm always choosing Power game or Jalgiris uh, game uh, because those two teams are, first of all, one of my best team and uh, another is my local team so I like to watch them also Milan is is not exception you know because I have a great friends over there uh, which I still in contact and uh, uh, those three teams are my probably the most watched and uh, uh, in, in, in any case I'm watching all almost yearly games but in Euroleague TV, you know, I wake up in the morning making some breakfast or eating some breakfast. I just turning on some game and just in 45, 50 minutes, you can watch all the game, you know, easy without timeouts and have time, you know, so it's easy, you know. Yeah, for me, I watch um, strictly because we're in the same lead. I know we're going to run into each other in games, but I watch a lot of FS and Fenner games, um, you know, just to prepare. You know, we'll play them throughout the regular season and possibly playoffs but um if i have to watch a game that i'm just going for pure enjoyment um it's usually going to be monaco just because it's fun to watch mike uh, mike james is electric um, the way he scores the way he gets to his spots on the court how it looks effortless so you know he's a guy that i'm normally going to tune in and watch because mike is must see tv it's good you mentioned two turkish teams uh, because uh, neither Fenerbahce nor fs are performing up to the expectations both have five wins in 10 games both are in the second uh, part of the standings and uh, Fenerbahce just dropped four in a row what do you think what's what's not clicking for for both of them I think what hurt Fenner is um they had a lot of injuries right so when you have those injuries to key positions you know missing a player like Marco Goodrich for extended period of time during that losing streak that really hurt them um you know Calathis was down all those type of things when you're talking about lead guards, guys who can play the pick and roll and create and make the game easier for others. Um, when you miss them, it's not easy to replace them. Um, and so there was a time where they were missing maybe four or five key guys in the rotation for, I think, three of those losses. So I think as they get their health, um, you know, they'll be in a better shape and condition. And I think, um, you know, finding a way for everybody to coexist. Um you know, I think when you have so many good players, so much strong talent, you know, everybody has to take a piece of themselves and sacrifice. Um, and if you know, you're not able to do that, you know, you won't reach your full potential. And, you know, oftentimes it sounds easy, but a lot of guys aren't willing to take less of the pie. So, you know, if they can find a way to come together and you know, maybe be content with you know, taking some less shots here, sacrificing this or that, 
they could reach their potential. But, you know, like I said, sometimes too many players can be a bad thing just because it's hard to please everyone. You know, as far as FS, I think, you know, it's expected to start a little bit slower. They had a new coach. He's bringing in a new system. You know, it's after the Ottoman air. There's a lot of pressure there, you know, based on how they finished last year. And I think, um, you know, Shane coming in there, taking that lead, you know, coming and being a little bit more healthy this year. He has faced some injuries, but he's fighting through and, you know, seems to look pretty good, you know, last game. And then you're replacing a guy like Misic, you know, it's not easy, even though Darius Thompson is a great point guard. The synergy that Larkin and Misic had over those years is hard to replicate with um, Thompson and Larkin just because it's only been three months. Um, they're going to need time to get that, you know, bond and that chemistry going. Also, remember Will Clyburn, you know, in the lineup as well. He has to also, you know, adjust to those three because oftentimes Shane was missing time, Mises was missing time, or Clyburn. Like one of those three were always out last year. So the full chemistry wasn't always developed. Um, and now they come in, you have a different big man, Tyreek Jones. Um, you're playing a different style. So you can expect, you know, some changes there. And I think now that you're starting to see them play better, you know, but as they start to kind of turn that corner, you know, Derek Willis gets hurt. And, you know, he was a key player to that team with his energy, his effort, his ability to space the court. So there could be some issues for them there. But, you know, I think um, they have the potential, you know, to to turn the corner, to make changes um, and to grow. But all that's dependent on um, probably Shane Larkin. And if he continues to play at this level, um, you know, you'll see them win more and more games. You know, is it fair to expect this performance every night? No, but he has this talent. He has this ability. And he's shown that he is capable of doing it. Yeah, and he already performed really well against Partizan. It was his best game uh, since, uh, let's say, in, uh, in, in post-COVID era uh, that he had per um, performance, uh, performance index rating. I think it was like 38 or something. Some huge shots, huge plays against Partizan uh, that got uh, the win for FS. And, I mean, he's in a perfect situation right now because all, all the all and the entire game, uh, the schemes of Erdem John, it was based on you know making Shane Larkin a center figure and what was probably different from Ataman's era because it was let's say the game started from Vasily Misic and Shane Larkin was used more as a as an off-ball player. Now he has to do way more things. He's involved more in the game and of course for Shane it's it's probably a nice situation or let's say it's the perfect stage for him to, to perform and to prove that he, he still belongs to this elite uh, level. And it's during the contract year. Just keep that in mind. That keeps you motivated. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And it's good you mentioned this thing about having a deep rotation in Fenerbahce's case. Let's not forget that Raul Neto is not playing. You can imagine what kind of rotations they would have if he was uh, on the team? What would have happened with Nick Calates? Uh, we have Dorsey uh, getting DNP situations. And this whole thing is, is getting interesting because it feels like more and more EuroLeague teams are trying to expand their rotations to build deeper rosters. But at the same time, I don't know, I'm still not convinced by this strategy unless you're Real Madrid because that's the part of their culture. Everybody, everyone is kind of used to it if you go to Madrid you sacrifice your minutes you sacrifice your playing time but at the same time you're competing for every uh, title during the season and of course you're getting some some great uh, conditions out there uh, what Arturas mentioned about Japanese teams I think that Real Madrid players also could uh, could say something similar about uh, Real Madrid and you know there's this different approach for instance when Gianmarco Pacheco joined Asville 
I remember we had some conversations before our interview in Konas, and he mentioned that he's a shorter rotation guy. He likes to have clear alpha dogs on his teams and also experts, role players and experts at their best skills. But someone who are not demanding a lot of playing time or somebody who, who doesn't want to be alpha on that team amongst three, four, five other alphas. And then we see suddenly he's cutting Frank Jackson, who was having, okay, it was not his best months in, in Asphalt, but it's normal. It was his rookie EuroLeague experience. He's, he's young, he had to adjust, and it was not enough time for him, you know, to make some right adjustments to play his best game, although he was not that bad. But, you know, that was mm, what Gianmarco Pozzeco did. That was this thing of having a different approach. And I, I, I want you guys to expand on what do you think about Fenerbahce situation. Tyler Dorsey is getting DNP uh, against Virtus. And they lose the game. He's on the 12-man roster, but he's not getting any minutes. And I tried to dig in to check what's going on. If it's another Ettore Messina, Kevin Pango situation just in Istanbul. But so far from what I heard, it was a bit different. It was some internal things and it took this messages uh, it took this message uh, to his player because last weekend we saw him playing in Turkish league and he he played team high 30 minutes against Petkim Alaga Petkim uh, and Fenerbahce won Tyler Dorsey had six points and I just wanted to hear you guys what do you think about these DNP situations those hidden messages that sometimes coaches are sending in their own way I think it's best sometimes just to have a communication with a player, you know, bring him in your office, talk to him, you know, tell him what you need from him or, you know, what that player is not doing. And then if you feel like it's still not being, you know, reached or met um, within practice, within, um, you know, the attitude in that meeting, you know, I understand it's a coach's team. They have to make their choices and they have to do what's best for the team. Oftentimes what's best for the team won't be best for each individual player. Um, you know, regardless of the situation, we understand that as players that this is not the NBA. Um, the coaches have more power than the players here. And when you come in, you have to respect that. You know, this is just how it is. Um, but with that said, I think play, coaches are starting to evolve and give players, you know, more respect, not control, you know, not power, but, you know, courtesy to know, like, what's going on to communicate certain things. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, coaches' jobs are on the line. You got to remember, they have wives, they have children. They want to stay at the high level. They want to play at this team and, you know, to continue to lead this team. And if they don't win games, you know, they'll be expendable. So oftentimes, messages are sent and abruptly. And you know, I think that was the case here because even in the next game, um, it kind of seemed uncharacteristic. I watched it. Um, Dorsey against Peckham mm-hmm. played 30 minutes. I think he only shot four shots. You know, it's not like him. Normally, he's aggressive. He's looking for his shots. Um, you know, an ISO situation off the screen. And, you know, he didn't really seem to, you know, to be as aggressive. Um, it wasn't, you know, looking at the rim as much as normal. You know, maybe that was by design. Maybe that was a different game plan where they were going inside. I don't know what, but, you know, normally he's always in attack mode. So that was different. I don't know. It's, uh, it was trying to motivate him or uh, something happened between them. But in any case, as uh, Eric mentioned, they must to go in the office or whatever and, talk like a man-to-man, you know, and it's the best way to solve any so any problems and is the solution for, for everything, you know. I think you don't need to hold back something or, or think about uh, something individual or whatever. You just need to talk with the coach if you have a solution to do it and to have everything what is the best for the team or 
or or or go to separate ways, you know, because I think something happened between them. Knowing it to this, uh, he's big ego guy, so uh, probably it's uh, something over there, you know. But we 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 don't know that. Yeah. No worries. I mean, uh, speaking of those DNPs, I mean, I'm not a player. I cannot, you know, recall any moments or I cannot share some valuable experience. But I believe that uh, if you gi you're giving DNP to somebody, you have to feel the person. You have to feel the person, how this decision might fit him, m how it might motivate. Probably you're not giving a DNP if you're not sure how it will affect the player. Unless it's, let's say, the last thing you're trying to to get some, I don't know, to build this relationship back or to send a message. Maybe it's the final call, let's say, uh, for a player to make his adjustments. How, how do you did you ever have this experience? How how would you react if you would if you try to get yourself in Dorsey's or anybody's who got DNP shoes? I think for me, most of the DNPs came when I was young. You know, you're starting out, you're trying to develop yourself in Europe. You know, coaches don't really trust young guards. Um, and you know maybe there's a foreigner limit there as well you know when i was in israel um i think uh two israelis had to be on the court at all times um and there were six foreigners and i was a rookie so that was a time where i got dnps and for me it was just motivation to keep working to get in the gym and you know find ways that i could help the team but i was also at a stage in my career where i was trying to prove myself i think it's a little bit more difficult once you've already established yourself in europe and you feel like you're not getting that respect um, so it's obviously not about your talent or else they wouldn't assign you, paid you that amount of money. It comes down to maybe something that's going on character-wise or something that's going on internally. And once you have that conversation with your coach, man, and man, I think you can figure out, you know, what's best. But who knows, maybe there's some tension from when Dorsey wanted to leave in the summertime, you know, and, you know, they refused to let him go. And sometimes that could be really difficult and put a strain on a relationship. Nick Calathis has handled it very professionally, you know, but you never know the situation or what could happen or how, Things are misconstrued. You know, he has the Greek passport. You know, Tudis is Greek. You would think there would be, you know, a better communication level there. But, you know, I guess there's not. And there's something that they're going to have to work on, you know, if they want to reach their goals as a team. And it's good you watched this game against Petkim because probably what you expect after getting DNP, and especially from a player and a scorer like Tyler, Tyler Dorsey, you expect him to be aggressive, to score like 30 points and to show that the coach was wrong. So... If he's taking four shots, that probably means that the message was not uh, received, you know, pleasantly. Am I right? Maybe it's it's his way of, of you know, of his ways to send the message to your head coach that it's it's not going to work this way. Yeah, usually when you're a scorer, they, um, if there's a disconnect, it's probably going to be them wanting to tone down your aggressiveness. So sometimes that just might be shooting better shots. Sometimes maybe looking to create for your teammates a little bit more. And usually scorers take that two ways. One way, they could pout and they could be like, you don't want me to shoot? I'm not going to shoot anything. So when they have opportunities, they just don't shoot nothing. And they have opportunities to drive or to attack, they just throw the ball. And it's like, shows the coach, like, okay, I'm listening to you, but it's kind of like <laughs> counterproductive. You know, really the coach wants you to be attacking. They want you to shoot. They want you to score. That's why they signed you. But you have to have that balance of getting your teammates involved when to create, when to do certain things. So I expected him to be aggressive, to be attacked, to be sharp, but maybe to pass, you know, or create a little bit more for the teammates, especially when, with some of those guard injuries they had. Maybe that's something that they were lacking, that the coaches felt like they needed. 
Um, but the four shot attempts in 30 minutes, that was a, a big surprise. I just didn't see that coming just because he's an attacking style player and he's a really good scorer. Well, not as you mentioned, the Greek passport. So you think somebody from them begin? Mm, Eric mentioned the Greek passport, uh, but I mean, I think we can we can remember that Tyler was not playing for the Greek national team this summer. summer. Uh, that's one. The same happened with Nick Kalatis, but as Eric mentioned, Nick kind of adjusted to the, this difficult and comfortable situation uh, real, really well, uh, using his opportunity. And with Tyler, it might be a different uh, case, but you know, if, so if something happened in summer, if if Tyler is not happy, and as we see from his numbers, although his averages are not that bad, like 10 points, 10.4 points, two rebounds, two assists, although it's at 38% field goal shooting, but still, it's it's not that bad. But I'm just not feeling that Tyler Dorsey is feeling himself in Fenerbahce. So far, I'm not convinced that it was a good fit. And I mean, it's the risk that Fenerbahce took. Uh, he joined the team in the midseason last year. Uh, it was already packed team, stacked team uh, at their uh, backcourt. And probably Fenerbahce, not, not just probably, it was also part of their plan. We are signing the best player available in the market. Yeah. And also it might uh, be a good long-term solution uh, for, for the next years to come. And potentially we are getting him for a cheaper price because if we try to hunt him in the summer, because he was already targeted by Fenerbahce in a while, his uh, price might increase because more teams will be involved. So during the midseason, the competition is a bit different and it's easier to get the player. But my point is that if you don't uh, involve your player the way he expects to be involved uh, during the second part of the season, which is not easy, it might affect your relationship from both sides. And if you start things from a negative standpoint it might be hard to rebuild and reconstruct that uh, relationship. At least that's that's how I see it. Don't forget that Panathinaikos now is a Panathinaikos actor Athens, Athens, whatever, because they <laughs> signed the new deal with the main sponsor. So maybe is there some money available uh, or for Tyler Dorsey, because Ataman mentioned that uh, we have a possibility now to strengthen our team. So maybe it's the case, you know, you never know because uh, there is uh, big expectations uh, in Athens. So, and, and they need somebody in that position. It's my opinion because Kyle Guy is not performing the in the way what they're expecting. So. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, Ataman, especially Ataman, he's always very aggressive on the markets. And th there's this interesting thing about the new sponsor, at least from what I've heard, he was kind of already involved before. I mean, and it heavily impacted their offseason signings and helped Pau to build the roster. It was just a formality and a matter of time to make things official and to present it as official sponsor and to put them on the title. So, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, again, it's my educated guess, but it's not like they're joining the club just right now and now they're going to sign new players. But, you know, who knows? I mean, Panathinaikos, they always can keep some money in advance to, to build uh, and to improve the team. Just not sure. Of course, 
Uh, it would be a great response to Olympiakos to get Tyler Dorsey with a Greek passport since Olympiakos got Nazmitro Long, somebody who is going to get a Greek passport. So uh, if, if they want to match uh, Olympiakos on the market, Tyler Dorsey for sure would be an upgrade. Although we're talking about another stacked you know, uh, backcourt that Panathinaikos also have. So it wouldn't be easy to please everyone uh, in Athens, I guess. For sure. That's for sure. By the way... Since you mentioned Panathinaikos and you're ex-player of Panathinaikos and it was your last European team, what do you think about their rebuild and their progress so far uh, going into the season? Well, they changed 12 players of 13 and I think, yes, or something like that. Some Greek players, Mandzukas and Marius, uh, stayed. I mean, as you mentioned, it's a very aggressive market. This, this year they bought, I think, the best what they can. And uh, when you put like 30 millions in whatever in per year in the year for the roster, uh, it's not a fact that it will work. You know, uh, the start was really hard for them. Uh, I'm not a fan of Ataman, whatever, because I hear I'm hearing the crazy stuff, and, and it's it's really crazy how. The Euroleague team can 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 be like this. I mean, but uh, what's this crazy stuff you hear? And what's I mean, what's crazy to Arturas Gudaitis? I mean, it's it's. I don't want to mention too much, but from the practices to the scouting, whatever, and it's not like okay, he has his way to to coach, and we need to respect him because he had two Euroleagues. By him is three Euroleagues, whatever I don't know, but uh, <laughs> it's crazy stories. And uh, what the surprise for me that they are playing really good right now, especially on defense. But I give giving the credit for the team as a players as individuals who is really good, like uh, experience and knowing how to play basketball. That's the very important that you have in the on the floor those kind of guys like uh, Lucas and, and 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 let's say Mildoza Lasort is the big part of adding him in the team because he's doing a lot of stuff. Uh, so he has a message uh, Larkin and 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 those guys who playing for him. That's why I think he was successful. And now he also have an experienced team who giving him uh, a lot of good basketball, and I think they will still will grow up because uh, the the roster is really really good. And okay, they had Kendrick Nunn, who is doesn't have experience in Europe, but I think uh, he will show a lot better basketball than he's showing right now, and he has a talent to 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 be. One of the main guys uh, for power. I, I saw Eric was smiling a lot when he mentioned Ataman doing crazy things. Probably nothing is crazy anymore for Eric after his experience of Ataman in Galatasaray. Yeah, he has a unique style. Um, it's going to be something different than you've ever seen, a different approach. But I will say he does get results. He is a, a really good motivator. And... Um, you know, he, he finds a way to assemble good teams and, you know, to get owners and fans to believe in him. And, you know, you see that right now in Panthenikos. They're believing. Uh, and he's going to make bold statements. He's going to do stuff 
way different than you experienced, but you know, he does win. And so um, I think um, the Panthinaikos are excited about that, that part. And in Greece, they've been long awaiting, you know, the team to return back to its, its normal standards and they'll deal with, you know, some extraordinary circumstances or some differences if that produces wins. And guys, let's say um, to wrap it up about Tyler Dorsey, it's good you mentioned Panathinaikos because maybe it could be a potential fit uh, for Tyler Dorsey. Let's say uh, Dorsey and Tudis they don't get along, and Fenerbahce puts Dorsey on a transfer market, uh, which starts after uh, December 30th, when teams, when players can change Euroleague teams and, and join the new group. Uh, who do you see as the perfect situation, or not even? A perfect team, but just perfect situation. How to utilize uh, a player like uh, Tyler Dorsey, and would you see Panthinaikos as one of those uh, better landing spots for him to to show his real true potential? You know, as you mentioned, Panthinaikos, we have a, a lot of players already in that position, and it's not a perfect situation for Dorsey, I think, but it's perfect situation for the pub because he have a passport. And it's the big advantage in Greek league uh, to have a, to have him as a, a Greek player in those games against Olympiakos, because I think it's the the, the biggest games uh, for them, for the club, for the fans, because the this rival is a really big over there, and uh, that's the big win for Paul. But uh, for Tyler, I don't know if it's the right spot or not. But uh, as we know, if you on the uh, roster of the Ataman, which he using six players, seven players, you good. But if you out of this uh, rotation, I mean, it's it's not a good fit for him. But at the level, at the level, what Tyler uh, shows to us, everyone in Euroleague, he must be at the at the this rotation, I think. And if the power make this move. Uh, he must play, let's say. So so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I really liked it before um, the Kedrick Nunn signing. Um, I think he would be great in Ottoman system because he gets lots of freedom, ISO situations, pick and roll, and you know he'll find ways to allow a score to score. You know, you've seen it with um, Larkin. You, know, you saw that when I played with him. You saw that with the Royal. Like all many types of guards, different styles, they've been able to be successful with him. And um, I think um, you know he's a guy that needs to be let loose and needs to be given freedom. And Ottoman is a coach who gives ultimate freedom. Um, the only problem is now there's just so many players. And you know, like you guys said, he's not um, a coach that plays a deep rotation, so it's not easy for you, you know, to to fit in and to do those things. And it's always hard coming to a team late in the year. But with that Greek passport, I think um, that makes a huge difference. Um, I remember when I played in Greece and um, Olympiakos was coming off the back-to-back championship and they were mad with Barjokas because he was losing to Panathinaikos um, in the Greek league. And I couldn't understand it. And they ended up, you know, releasing him after like two back-to-back uh, championships. Um, and because he lost to Panathinaikos, I'm like, so is the Greek league more valuable than the Euro league? Like I was confused, but you know, that's the situation you're dealing with. And that's why a guy like Dorsey, his talent with the Greek passport, you know, could be extremely valuable in Greece. Yeah, just I, I, I would, I would like Dorsey's fit in Panthinaikos, but not sure about this case because I love Jerry and Grant too much and his all-around game that he can offer. 
it's obvious that you're not going to bench Costas Lucas after paying him so much and knowing his importance in, in Greece. And then you sign Kendrick Nunn. So now it would be really hard to make this rotation on, on their backcourt. But, you know, who knows? Uh, it's Panathinaikos. And as we mentioned, it's it's for us, it's hard to understand the local league, uh, the importance of, of local leagues. Uh, I mean, Arturas Gudaitis could explain us about those uh, local g- uh, games uh, importance, uh, of, of course. Did you, did you notice any differences? Or, or, or let's say, I think we, we spoke uh, about it with Kendrick Perry. If, if you beat Olympiakos in the Greek league, you can be the bottom team in the Euro league. It doesn't matter at, at all. What counts? Because just beating your main yeah. rival. For the fans, is the most important thing. The thing is uh, rivalry with Olympiakos, and if you beat them in Greek league, you are the best for them. Doesn't matter in Euroleague. And like I said, uh, Eric, uh, he was confused, but it's really in Greece. It's like this. Okay, Euroleague is Euroleague, but Olympiakos, Panathinaikos, it's like the biggest thing for them, and uh, Euroleague is not. So such a big importance uh, which is crazy probably but Greek Greek people is like this and the most important thing for them is to beat Olympiakos so and the last Greek team to, to talk about is Olympiakos and they're like five minutes away from officially signing Filip Petrushev to a two three year 2.5 uh, year uh, deal in Olympiakos what do you think about this edition? Uh, what are your thoughts if it's a right fit for, for the team and for the player? I felt like that they did need um, a scoring punch. You know, I thought they were going to look more in the guard market, but this is a guy who can score back to the basket. He can stretch the floor. You know, he has size. And, you know, unfortunately this season they've had some injuries, you know, at the four and the five position. So he's a guy you can kind of slide in and slide in that position to do those things you know, he has his weaknesses defensively but offensively he definitely brings a firepower uh, power to a team that has spurts where they don't score a lot or has dry spells you know throughout the game and this is something that you know they wanted to find a player who could help the team but the things you have to consider you need someone who knows Europe who can adapt um, who's going to fit into that Olympiacos type of culture and style you know they're you could tell they're together they're a family they're a team they all enjoy playing for one another so you don't want to disrupt the flow where you have a situation where maybe you have to throw out DMPs, you have to set a tone, you have to have meetings with players. So this is a guy I think who can fit into their culture seamlessly. But I do believe another guard would have been very beneficial to them. So I think Oli have a packed fine position with Milutino, Milutino healthy and and fall. Uh, they bought Petrushev in kind of Sigma place. Because I don't know if they're happy or not with him, but uh, also Eric mentioned sometime maybe Petrusha will slide to the five, especially in the key moments when we need uh, somebody from the five position who can shoot the ball from the farther uh, to open up the drives. But in any case, I think uh, they need also one guard who, who can help them. So, yeah. They just brought Nazmit along. How many guards they can afford having? I mean, it's crazy. They already have like 10 guards. Okay, Naz, you you bring because of passport. I think Naz is a very lucky guy that he, he have uh, this opportunity 
with the passport because you're going from the let's say playoff team to the final four final team so with the, not the best performance in the season that's that means a lot but uh, i'm not saying that he's a bad player or whatever but uh i think they need some addition what uh, can create in the key moments we all thought that it is it is the player is breast Dakis, but we're seeing that it's really hard to fit him uh, by, by now, but maybe after he will be better with, with, with everything, uh, with his shape and everything, because he has some injuries, but, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, they need a guard who, who in the Lucas place, because Thomas Walkup, uh, have uh, struggles with the shooting and everything. I think that Olympiakos is doing something similar to what Fenerbahce did with Tyler Dorsey, to be honest, because uh, we're talking about Petrushev, who is, by EuroLeague standards, he's relatively young and up-and-coming big man in the EuroLeague. He's still 23. Uh, he showed promising game in, in Red Star. He had uh, nice moments in FIBA World Cup. It's, it's somebody who can play in multiple positions as a foreman, as a center in, in some situations. So I think that Olympiakos brought him also having in mind that he might be help, uh, helpful uh, in the future. But, you know, to me, I think that's, again, I will repeat myself, but I think it will be very important. The first impression that he is going to get and Coach Barsokas will get about him. And I don't see it, you know, as an easy situation, you have Nikola Milotinov and you have Mustafa Fal. And although you think that Petrushev could cover some of the minutes as a five-man, there are just no minutes left, uh, basically. And as a four-man, you have Alec Peters, who's having a great season. He's in, in a top 10 by points and performance index rating in the EuroLeague, playing 29 minutes per game. And then you have Luke Sigma. And again, we're talking about pleasing too many, uh, feeding too many uh, mouths, you know. So it's all about how Petrushev will accept this one because he's coming from a situation where he was not playing in the NBA, where he was not getting a chance, and how he's going to look at this situation where you might end up like Ignas Brasdekis from a key player, from a cornerstone player getting 25 minutes per game to somebody uh, as a 10-14 minutes uh, player. I know that Milotino, Fal... Sometimes, or Luke Sigma, they, they got injury problems, uh, so the rotation might be shorter because of that. But at the same time, if you're not relying on, on injuries, if everybody is healthy, it's not going to be easy uh, to please everyone. So, again, maybe I'm too biased with these deep rotations, but sometimes I, I don't get it when there are too many uh, people and, uh, and, let's say, less minutes uh, and the very limited minutes to make everyone happy. But, you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe it's also Olympiakos for action to, to match what Panathinaikos is doing on the market. And who knows, maybe Panathinaikos was also, could, could have been also potentially involved in, in, in this case. And they're just making moves in advance to secure good promising big men uh, for the future. Also getting some benefits uh, already right now. Maybe there's some injury concerns that we don't know. Uh, maybe some of these big men, they're they are playing, but it's not clear when they will be out, for how long they might be out. So, so yeah, they know better than us, of, of course. 
Uh, and just to wrap this up, um, I, I remember this whole segment started from my question, who do you prefer to watch in your free time? And I actually had EuroLeague TV numbers uh, after six rounds. And uh, let's say most popular teams watched on the EuroLeague TV. And I, probably the list, uh, the top of the list won't be surprising. I see that Olympiakos was the most watched uh, EuroLeague team on the EuroLeague TV platform so far. Panathinaikos comes second. They're very, very close to each other, around 10% of the total viewership. Uh, with 7%, I see Partizan, Fenerbahce, Barcelona comes fifth, uh, Red Star sixth, and then there's Maccabi, Madrid, Milan, and Ephes. So that's the top 10 most watched EuroLeague teams uh, after six rounds. Um, before we go into Messina segments, uh, I wanted to the, hear your thoughts about the rule change that I uh, I, I, I wish for, uh, because probably you guys also watched this game uh, as well, uh, Bayern Munich. It was a great opener of the new gym that they have in, in Lyon. Uh, great game, double overtime game. It was close to going into the third overtime. Actually, that would have been the historical moment. There was no triple overtime game in the yearly history. And I, I remember, I think Jordan Lloyd tweeted that it was probably the best game of the season. So many clutch shots, high scoring game. Uh, you, you cannot script a better game for the gym opener uh, like it happened in Lyon. The problem that I have with that game, the way it ended, and it ended on the free throw line, following the play where the different team had the ball and let's say how it looked like the last position in that game. But Geoffrey Laverne goes for a floater. Uh, the the ball, uh, he released the ball and on the ground he hits uh, Niels Giffey. That's an offensive foul. And eventually Niels Giffey is now shooting free throws, although his team was playing defense. And I know that according to the current rule book that we have, it was a good call uh, good read of the situation and those free throws were you know fully awarded uh, and and it was completely okay according to the rule book but what I argue to change is like it shouldn't be like that the defense didn't deserve to have an offensive advantage in this situation uh, and Geoffrey Laverne was still I would say in a shooting motion he, he didn't land on the floor and it was about making a shot, not trying to get an offensive rebound or being involved in those situations. Would you agree to, to make a rule change? Let's say, okay, you, you give an offensive foul to Geoffrey Laverne, you give the ball to Bayern Munich and let them decide uh, on, on, on their last position, not sending them to the free throw line. Yeah, that's my how pro I felt. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, my problem is not about rule or change the rule, you know, sometimes referees must to feel like when to call it and when not. And for example, in those situations, I have also a couple in my career when uh, referee want to decide the game, you know, and is the case over there, I think, because second overtime, he going for the shot, I'm not saying to call or not call, but let the guys to to how to say to decide the game by themselves, right? The, yes, yes, because uh, you cannot call this. Uh, you you can say me that uh, us will have a last possession, whatever this and that, but it was sh shot by, by Cabarro. It was like okay, not so good, but 
I, I never ever, if I'm refereeing, uh, as an ex-player, call this foul and send the guy for the two free throws. It's my opinion. And it's not about the rule, but sometimes as a referee, you must to act not by book, you know. You must to act like uh, by feeling the game and everything. So my opinion is not about that is the rule is wrong, you know. It's about the ref who must feel the, the, the situation, you know. So it's my opinion. So Yeah, I feel the same way that in that situation, just call the charge, player control file, take the ball out of bounds. Um, you know, I feel like, okay, on every charge, basically someone releases the ball. You usually rarely ever hold the ball in your hands and run someone over when you're going to shoot. You always release the ball, and then a second or two after, it's a charge car. It happens often um, when someone drives to the lane and passes it out to a three-point shooter. Um, they pass the ball first, and then they take an extra step or two, and then they run into the defender. Usually the refs don't reward free throws. And just knowing the time and the situation, knowing that that's a bang-bang play, I know it's hard to, to make that read, but to end the game like that after it was so special, I think it robs the fans um, of a classic ending. You know, it robs those teams from their effort, their fight. And, you know, I know it's late. You know, I know it's two over time. You know, I, I know, but you, know, you got to gotta feel the moment, you know, like he was saying, and just kind of gauge the game. And he could have easily, if he'd have called charge and said um, player control foul, um, ball out of bounds, no one would have questioned it. Everyone would have thought, like, that's a normal play. And, you know, who knows, maybe we would have had that third overtime or, you know, maybe another special inning. Yeah, and probably, especially nowadays, those players under the basket, they're hunting for these charges, right? Did you notice the increase uh, of those hunters that we have nowadays? Yeah, and it's a dangerous play, too. Like, um, anytime someone's in the air, you know, you can slide up on them. Like, the charge car is so tricky, you know, and it's like, if you're going to reward this type of behavior, you know, with, you know, someone taking the charge, getting free throws, you're going to see guys start to do it you know, much more frequently, you know, especially in the crucial time of the game, uh, crucial moments, just because strategically, you know, as a competitor, if I see this gives my team a chance to win, you know, I don't even really take a lot of charges, but, you know, I'll be out there taking charges too, um, but strategically waiting until after they have released the ball. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't know if many refs would make that call. It takes a lot of courage, a lot of guts. Um, um, and, you know, maybe they wanted to go home early. I don't know. But <laughs> they didn't want to stay for third overtime. <laughs> and, of course, probably it depends on who is coming at you. Uh, if, if it's Arturas Goditis, you're probably not coming that charge, right? You're just oh. getting out of his, his way. No way. Not taking that charge. That's going to put me out for about six to eight weeks. That charge isn't worth it. Um, <laughs> not in a regular season game. No way. Your team needs you to play. You're more viable. Now, if it's a guard or, you know, maybe um, somebody slows down, okay, yeah, take a charge. But to take a charge from a big man and, and to risk being out for two, three months, oh, running full speed down the lane, not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> um, on a more serious note, um, we already discussed Ettore Messina, Shabazz Napier, Kevin Pango situation in Milan, but I really wanted to give the player's perspective uh, around this situation and let's say to put everyone in player's shoes uh, we all heard about the interview Messina did uh, two weeks ago just the only change in the whole story was last week when Messina mentioned that 
first of all, he denied that part about Napier's text message to his friends, stating that he wished to return to Milan. Instead, he he said he made a joke about it and he was misinterpreted by by the journalists. And since the journalist is still silent to this day, he didn't deny or he didn't explain explain he didn't give a further explanation of this whole story. Uh, Messina use it as an argument that he was right and uh, if there's something to be hidden from maybe that shows that the journalist was wrong misinterpreting the situation but uh, let, let's keep it uh, out of the discussion let's talk about um, players how would you feel and what would you do if you're Kevin Pangos uh, who's under the contract in, in Milan for me personally um, if I was Kevin Pangos I would feel betrayed um it's okay for you to be upset with me. It's okay for you to have a problem you know, with what I'm doing on the court. It's even okay for me not to be playing at the typical level that you expected. But talk to me. You know, We keep that in-house, keep that within the team, within the organization, within the front office. There's no need to go and bash me you know, to the media or you know, to mention my name, to throw me under a bus. Um, your job security is safe. You have a good relationship with the ownership. They're going to keep you as a coach. You've already went there several times. They said you're staying. You know, there's no need, you know, to do that to a player, you know, especially a guy who's currently on your roster, you know, at that time. And, you know, if you ever want him to get back on the roster, ever play again, it's going to be almost impossible to mend that relationship. Um, So, you know, just personally, you know, that's how I would feel. Uh, And now, you know, if I was searching for a new team, you know, if I was searching for another place to go, you know, I probably would have took a settlement. You know, maybe there were seven months left on the contract. And, you know, me being, you know, a hospital guy, you know, keeping a relationship, whatever. I might have took, you know, I found another team who would want me, you know, try to just get, you know, similar salary, you know. So maybe Milan only plays three or four payments and the other team picks up the rest. You know, that would have been suitable. But now, since you threw me under the bus, since you bashed me, you talked about me, I need every dollar. I need every cent. I won't leave. I'll be a good teammate. I'll follow my contract. You tell me to practice, I'll go practice. You tell me to go here, I'll go here. But you're going to pay me every dollar. You're going to see me every day. And that's what it's going to be until you do what's induced, right? Because you don't do people like that. You know, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And imagine a player throwing a coach under the bus for Because coaches underperform too. Coaches make mistakes, substitution mistakes, play call designs, um, signings of players. They make lots of mistakes because they're human. It's part of the game. It's like referees and everything. It's just not right to go in and to bash a player who, you know, is his second year with the club. And Milan prides himself on professionalism. You know, I wasn't very professional. And knowing Kevin, I was with him. Very great year from for him, and he is like really, really professional guy. He is like most professional ever, and I don't think that. It was some problem with him, you know. If he cannot perform, is the part of the of the game and of the as you mentioned, Eric, uh, coaching performance also maybe not there. You know, you cannot like uh, put the all blame on him, you know. And also, Mike mentioned uh, that he is a couple years ago all Euroleague player. You know, you must respect that. You must to respect the player, and you cannot throw him under the bus. But I have another also story with me in in Milan when I was after my ACL injury. Uh, uh, COVID hit, 
I was back after my ACL. I played a couple of games in that season. It was up and down, so a lot of things, everything. Big mess, okay. Uh, not, I feeling not myself, which is, I'm taking responsibility. Uh, but I have still two-year contract in Milan. And summer came, and I heard from Milan, not from Atoria, but from the people who is the GM, Donatas, maybe you can remind me, the Greek guy, who is the... Christos Stavropoulos? Yeah, yes, he's yes. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Uh, I have uh, two years left, and uh, they calling my agent and telling, hey, look, Guditas, uh, we don't need him anymore. Uh, if he will be in the team, he will be not playing, he will be even out of the practices. So that, that I mean, it's okay with me. You, you're honest with me. It's okay with me because that summer they signed Kyle Himes. But what uh, uh, I don't like the most that Atari doesn't call me and he doesn't say even one word for me. You know? So, so from that moment, uh, I was lost respect for him. You know, and I'm open right now, as I never been. You know, and the people thinks that I leave. Milan because of Zenit uh, or everything. I'm really uh, loving the city and the people over there, but uh, it was not my decision. You know? So, as I'm saying, I'm I'm glad that they say you know, and I'm better. I was better in the better situation uh, than Kevin now because he cannot enter any Euroleague team after first round. I was okay in the summer and everything, and they inform me but uh, something is not on the right spots over there and uh, we need to first of all not blame and point the fingers on some somebody sometimes we need to look in the mirror you know and uh, tell one time it's on my bad you know so so it, it is the case in Milan I think uh, which our people are uh, scared to say or whatever, or uh, be open, but but sometimes you need to watch in the mirror and uh, and say maybe it's my bad, you know, I make a mistake, but not to blame the player who you choose for the big money, you know, to play for your team, and uh, you have a, this role, what what. Uh, everybody expect uh, to be you know everybody expect I mean Kevin to lead the team but you need the help from the coach from the players to, to, to do that so that's my opinion actually uh, Messina kind of took the blame in that interview he said that he did a mistake uh, you know Picking Kevin Pangos and expecting him to be the the right driver uh, of that of that team, and then eventually ended up that he's but, not the right driver uh, for the team. But it was very, for me, crazy thing what he said. He said he doesn't fit a second point guard role in the NBA. He say something like this, right? He said that's something I should have understood that when he 
uh, was let, left out of Cavaliers rotation and dropping, let's say, from the backup point guard to, to non-rotation player or something. That, that, in my eyes, was unnecessary at all. We have examples like EuroLeague MVPs going to the NBA or uh, like a Vasa message. He doesn't fitting now, right now, as a, as a, we are talking. But or Campazzo. Yeah, yeah, or Campazzo, or whatever. We have uh, many examples, and uh, what <laughs> they are not that bad players at all because in NBA is an opportunity. If you got an opportunity, you have a minute to show yourself. It's a completely different story, you know. But uh, when you are uh, in their situations, it's really hard, you know. So. What's the level of criticism you accept, let's say, on media by your head coach? Let's say if it was just, oh, Kevin is not... Uh, the point, let's say, the point guard that maybe this team needs, or not the point guard that fits my style that I want to play, was that kind of, let's say, tolerant? Uh, would you have tolerant uh, this 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 remark, or what he said about calves and some other stuff was you know not necessary, and that what make this whole situation worse? What would be the right balance, you know, because. Now we're kind of putting ourselves in a situation where you cannot criticize your player during the season, although some coaches do that, like Ergin and Ataman. I mean, Eric knows better than, than anybody. You know, he's always uh, bringing some names up, uh, you know, in, to motivate those players in his own way. But what was bad and worst about this ex uh, particular example of Messina and Pango situation? For me, it's bringing up the past teams. That has nothing to do with anything in this situation. What happened last year in an organization, you can't really speak on because you weren't there at the practices. You weren't there to see the competition. You weren't there to see the role, how he fit. None of those things. Like, to this said, there's a lot of good uh, players who don't get opportunity in the NBA, who come to Europe and play good or vice versa, um, who are good in the NBA and come in Europe and they're, they're struggling. Um, so I think bringing up past teams, is unnecessary. I know coaches are sometimes going to criticize players, and that's part of the game. We sign up for criticize, criticizing, but to tear somebody down, you know, is not necessary. As a player, what if I was to criticize the coach? What if Kevin Pangos went to the media before Messina and said, you know what, you know, this is a really good coach. He's had a good career, but he's not coaching at the level um, that we're accustomed to. Um, you know, our team's not doing well. A lot of us are underperforming. Maybe we aren't getting used in the right system. Maybe he's not tailoring um, the system to the players because there's a lot of coaches out there. There's coaches um, who can coach only through a system. And so if these players don't fit their system exactly like a puzzle, the coach is out of sorts. And then there's coaches who coach players and they fix their system and adjust the system to the players. And those are people who can be successful anywhere because you're going to base your system based on players' strengths. And strengths may uh, change or grow throughout the season. So you may miss some strengths and weaknesses, you know, in the summer scouting and film because you didn't see a player get guarded this way. You didn't see him go against this type of athlete. You didn't see this type of, um, you know, decision-making, you know, through the video that quickly. Um, and so as a coach, you also have to adapt. So, yes, it's not a secret. Kevin Pangos is not playing at the level he is accustomed to that we saw at Zenith and Zagiris. Yes, that's okay to say. 
Um, we need him to play at a higher level. But also, Messina's also not coaching at that level that we've also seen in the past from those Cheska days or from that year that Milan went to the Final Four. Because too often we have seen many players go to Milan and not play at the level they did on the previous team. Is that on the player? Did the player get worse um, in three months, in four months? You know, so I think some blame lies on the player and some blame lies on the coach. Um, and not just for selecting a player, but once the player gets there, make them fit. Make it easy for him. Adjust it. Get him some actions that's successful. Go back and watch the film when he was with Saras and Zagiris. Use some of those um, offices, some of those tapes. Go see what Javi did with him in Zenit. You know, that's what some coaches do. You humble yourself and maybe you use some some bits and pieces of another system. And I'm not putting Kevin Pangos off the hook. I expect, you know, you get paid a lot of money. They're going to talk about you when you don't play well. We've all been there. We've all played and made good money on contracts where if you lose a game, you're the worst player ever. You know, if I have an off game, I suck. You know, the next week I play good, they're going to say I'm king. Like, I understand what comes with it. Like, this is this is what comes with it. So I just would wish that this would have been something that was kept in-house because what do you gain by diminishing a player's value? Especially when you're trying to get rid of said player. If you're in Milan, you're trying to get off that contract, right? You want to maybe get another player. Why would I bash him? I want to keep his value high so that another team will want him to unload him. Like, this is the business. This is what people do in NBA. This is what they try to do with James Harden. This is what they try to do with Damian Lillard. All those trades that they made, you're trying to get max value, right? Well, if you're a European team, you're trying to save as much money as possible to sign the next player. So why not keep the value high? That's business to me. That's professionalism. You know, I'm not happy with you. You're not happy with me. Okay, we're going to go our separate ways. Let's not talk bad about each other and let's find a solution. Do you have anything to add, Arturas? No, he's telling everything. And I, I, I tell of also everything what I, I, I think about them. And I think we can go forward. Uh, so we kind of know, by the way, to finish it up with Kevin Pangos, and I think Arturas knows the best, how to get the most of Kevin Pangos? What kind of situation or team does he need to, to play at his full potential? Because we kind of saw a tendency already. He thrived under coaches like Shurnas Yaskavichus and Xavi Pascal, who are known for like sophisticated basketball, for a lot of sets, a lot of smart plays, uh, half-court uh, basketball, right? And Kevin Pangos was, you know, his usage was was big. He, he was having a ball a lot, and you know, maybe that's the perfect environment uh, for him uh, to be the most uh, successful. But since Arturas, you played with him, what did you, you know, noticed how to make him performing best for himself and also for his team to be successful? You know, <laughs> for all the players, uh, if you're playing a lot and the game on you, you are performing well. You know. In Zenit, he has a green light, you know, he has a 30 minutes, he doesn't have any, any, any backup, you know, and he was playing like a monster, you know. Uh, you cannot find this usually in the EuroLeague team, you know, but with Xavi, he ha has this. And I'm not saying that he particularly need this situation, you know, but he needs to be put in, in in some situations when he feels the best, you know, uh, attack some weakest defenders, whatever, to to be 
in the strategic basketball, you know, uh, some good pick and rolls uh, with the weaker five men. I mean, it's a way, a lot, a lot of, a lot of ways to attack with him. And uh, as we know, uh, Milan basketball is struggling, you know. And for him, he doesn't have a, the greatest uh, strength or size, you know, as a as a point guard. He needs uh, strategic basketball. He needs some sets. Uh, he needs good environment. And uh, uh, he has ability when he feels the game. Of course, all we are like this, but ability to be a really great basketball player, you know, because as of right now, I think he needs the most, the, the back his confidence and, and to go maybe one step back, you know, and find the team when he can recreate his confidence and, and to be Kevin Pangos again, you know, because right now it seems that after all these talks and everything, he he's not himself, you know. So I wish him to to to, to end this period as as uh, fast as he can and to find some team where he can really really be himself, you know. Do you see Jalgiris as, as the right team for him to, to, to recover since Jalgiris is interested? I mean, it's it's obvious that Jalgiris would need to do some big changes because it was all about Keenan Evans before, but maybe they would try to play Kevin Pangos as a, let's say, point guard and Keenan Evans more in an off-ball situation as that real pure scorer. Would you, would you see that working or it's, it's again, Kevin should look for a different fit, different team. Maybe you, you see even a clear destination where he would uh, be able to thrive. It's a hard question right now to say because in Zalgiris, coach Kaziz likes to switching defense, you know, and with Kevin is like, uh, he doesn't have this size and for them it's like, Maybe it's a good fit, but okay. If you buying the Kevin, you must play him. And if you can correct your game style or whatever, it's of course good fit because he's uh, the piece what they need because the 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 back backcourt over there is uh, what we had there. Davidas Gedraitis and, and, and who else? Lukas Lekavicius. Lukas Lekavicius, yeah. yeah Thomas so, Dimsha. I mean, they are crying for the guard. So, I mean, of course, it's a good fit. And I think he can find himself with Keenan in the in the court. It's not a problem, I think, for the Keenan, Keenan physicality. He can guard some two men. So, if they can make it Would happen. Would you see that work, Eric? I mean, <clears throat> Zagiris will be comfortable. He's familiar there. He's already been there before. He knows what to expect. Um, it's a different coach, though. But I think um, sometimes going back where you're loved, where you've had success, you know, is usually an easier transition. You know, what would have been interesting, I think he could have fit the road nice. Um, it would, of course, had to happen earlier in the summer. I think him at Olympiacos, he could have fulfilled Saluka's role. Um, he's a heavy pick and roll point guard. You know, they play similar styles. They both need the ball in their hands. They both attack. He could have been, you know, that guard that kind of gives a different dynamic than Thomas Walkup. Um, and you could play them both be- together because Thomas Walkup is such a strong defender. He has size. 
Um, and Barjokas, you know, has a lot of pick and roll heavy action. So, I mean, that would have been something that could have been really interesting, but the timing probably just didn't afford it, that opportunity. Um, you know, who would have thought we'd have been here, you know, with um, a pending breakup with um, Messina and Pangos. But um, I think Zagiris is a place, I think the best opportunity usually comes, you know, maybe from a smaller team, you know, maybe still in the year elite, but maybe a team that is going to give you that opportunity that, you know, you guys were mentioning where that ball is in your hand. You know, I think, you know, he made some very good points that Pangos definitely needs the ball in his hands. He needs to feel freedom. Um, and all the teams that he has success in, he was the main guard and he was able to play through mistakes. Um, and there's a lot of guys in Europe who um, it's very hard to play in that smaller role in that box when you're in that 15 to 20 minute frame. You have to be very precise, efficient, and you have to be an attacking, aggressive type of player because there's going to be games in 15 minutes where if you're not aggressive, you're not even going to feel like you're in the game. Um, but um, if he goes to a place where he can get that freedom, obviously it's not going to be probably a top six or seven team because those teams have a backup for a backup. Even the third guard might be even, you know, a guy who can get in minutes and stuff like that. So I think um, Zagiris could be an option. Um, you know, obviously Olympiacos already made they move, but you know if they didn't take Nas, if they didn't have um, Petrusev coming, you know, that could have been something that they could have looked at. Another guy who could help, you know, the ball handling duties and give him another maybe a backup point guard or you know could split the guard opportunities with him and Walker. So to continue the topic of getting into somebody's shoes, how do you feel and what do you do if you're Kevin Pango's teammate? My relationship wouldn't change with him um, at all. Um, you know. What's between him and the club is between him and the club. You know, if he was my friend before, he'll still be my friend after. Even if we weren't friends, you know, I would reach out just because I'm sympathetic. You know, I'm a human being. I know I wouldn't want to see anyone go through that. You know, so if we played together, we were on the court and we were just coworkers because you're not friends with every teammate. Some people are just teammates and some people are friends. You know, I would reach out, let him know, you know, need anything. I'm here, man. And, you know, I'm sorry how things is going, you know, but you know, I wish you the best, you know, whatever. You know, and it was, you know, whatever the case may be, this is something that, you know, puts a strain, you know, and it makes players think like, man, they did this to Kevin Pangos. They did this to Mike James. They did this to Gutiérrez. They did this to all these players every year. So I'm thinking like, dang, will they do this to me? Um, and I think when you're at the top echelon, maybe a first team, all your league guys, you're probably safe from this type of treatment. But you know, those guys who are, you know, making a name or establishing themselves, you know, this is something that they could face. Um, and, you know, that could be something that you think about, you know, when, when you're signing with a team. Obviously, if the money's right, if it's your first time in a year league, you're going to take it. But if you're a guy who has options, you know, you're going to be weary of a team who discards players like trash and, you know, who, who says things about them um, and who throws you under the bus, who tries to hurt your value, um, at least me personally. So, you know, that's as a teammate, you know, I would be compassionate. I would, you know, feel what he's going through and I'd be feeling bad because we're not just losing because of Kevin Pangos. One player doesn't make us lose. You know, it's a team thing. Every individual probably could do something better. He's not the only player struggling. And, you know, so as a teammate, Milan's going to have some things to do, you know, fixing that aura around there, um, that energy, um, and, you know, getting – even, I guess, current players and future players to trust in that organization because it's not much trust there from what they've displayed and from what I see from the outside looking in. But if you're in the summer on the couch and you have only one offer from Milan, 
and you're laying down. <laughs> you sprint there. You you you, you, run, you run there immediately. <laughs> yes. And, and, and let's not uh, misunderstand the, and don't like forget that this top organization. To be honest, over there, the people who are really working hard uh, to be successful, and from the president, I mean, he trying his best that players feel happy there, but. Uh, not all the mechanisms are working well. So let's say like this, but uh, let's let's mention this, but that organization is the top and everybody must know that because they're trying really hard to, 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 to be like top level team with the charters and everything. So I just want to mention that also. Yeah, that's true. They have some great facilities, uh, including practice facilities. They have their personal chef in the building. So you're getting all of our Tokyo treatments uh, over there <laughs> as, as well. So there's a reason why, why some head coaches also seeking for that job, why, why players uh, would prefer going to Milan because of the conditions they can bring. But, but yeah, you, you kind of went to a good point where I was about to ask you how it might affect their future signings. If, if if you have few teams on the table, maybe those experiences from the past, experiences from the former players, they might impact your decision. But if like you have Milan and then there's the big gap between the other teams that could match the offer financially or the condition-wise, probably, I mean, in the current, it's not the NBA, right? Where usually in the NBA, it's I think it's about kind of similar numbers. And then you have a big, bigger freedom to choose from teams. May, maybe that's where you're looking, oh, this head coach is like this. This GM is, 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 is that way. In Europe, uh, the number game, I think, works and, and plays a bigger role uh, than in the NBA. And it's more important. And that's where you probably make a bigger sacrifice. Yeah, I think um, it's Milan, right? Like you said, great organization when it comes to resources when it comes to money, when it comes to having everything you need, when it comes to them trying to do things the right way. Like, it's a place that players and coaches always are going to desire. But if you're a guy who has options, you know, if you're a guy who has several offers and they're all close in money, I think as a player, you're hesitant when you see how certain players are treated other places. At least I am. You know, I think I look at my position. I look at who was there. Um where they went after that, um, how their career went, all those type of things, how their experience was. And, you know, if it's a guy who went through a negative experience, I'm not saying it's going to totally deter you, but it's something that you you give pause to. And when you see a history, a track record of players signing multi, multiple year deals and them trying to exit immediately, um, it makes me less anxious and less excited to sign there. So granted, obviously, if you don't have, a lot of offers, or if it's your first time of the year, yes, you're going to be ecstatic. But if you have an an Olympiacos, a Panathinaikos, a Milan, you know, a Madrid, a Barcelona, these caliber teams, you're probably going to go where you felt like players have been treated the best um, contractually, um, also um, their experience there. And they're always going to get players just because they have money, um, they have all the things that you need to be a top-notch organization. Um, and the resources are there. So players are going to go there. But I'm just saying, when you want the cream of the crop, it's going to get a little bit more tricky for you because guys with options, you know, 
aren't going to try to avoid situations where they feel like they could be in a Kevin Pangos type of situation or where Mike was there, like you know, all these type of things. So I don't want people to think I think Milan's a bad organization. They are a good organization. But sometimes a few decisions can rub players and people the wrong way and put a stain on your organization. Uh, I asked you guys about how would you feel as teammates of Pangos also having in mind, you know, that in some situations players are kind of sabotaging their head coach. Watching some teams, you can feel like these players are not playing for their head coach anymore. And basically in some situations, they want their head coach to be fired. I mean, that that's what their body language says. But from what I heard, the Milan's case, I mean, again, we're talking not just about the great environment, great organization that they have, but also we're talking about the top professionals. And from what I heard, I'm just not clear if that happened following the Virtus loss, because after that interview, they actually lost the game in the domestic league in Italy against Cafati. They also lost the Italian derby uh, against Virtus Bologna. But I heard that then they had players only meeting where they kind of, you know, they agreed that they're not sabotaging their head coach. Uh, they they want to fix their problems by themselves. And even, you no, know, what happened that happened, Let's stay uh, together. Let's beat uh, all those struggles together, and let's move forward. Uh, not not getting too much, you know, what's happening outside. And the reaction was, at least in the year league, it was two consecutive wins against Efes by 16 points, and now the the recent one in Belgrade against Red Star, convincing 22 points uh, win. So let's not underestimate Milan. They have a lot of great players, a lot of talent over there, and they can make a difference. Uh, to improve that team moving forward. And for sure, they will be in this, you know, play-in, play-off conversation moving forward. And, and they have a great leader. Uh, you have a guy like Kyle Hines who's seen it all. He can kind of rally the guys and, you know, bring them in and get guys to kind of, you know, buy in, be engaged, you know. So anytime you have that, somebody who's respected as a player, I think um, that helps when you're facing adversity and struggles. Uh, a veteran who's who's been there, done that. I imagine myself, for example, to sabotage coach or whatever. And in this level, I don't think it's possible. But it's just my opinion. I mean, whatever you don't like, or, or I don't know how much you you need to don't like the coach that you doing some stuff which is against the team. You know, I, I don't see this in in this level, and I I hope it's not gonna happen. You know, in any any kind of I like or don't like somebody, I, I just try my 100% and that's it. I mean, and I think all the guys uh, doing the same thing over there or whatever yes. is the team in, in Euroleague, you know. Yeah, and the, the last guy in this conversation was Shabazz Napier. We all saw that he was, let's say, in a polite way, he was, he was mad about the situation. He was mad at uh, being thrown under the bus. Whether it was a joke or not, uh, Coach Messina put him in a very uncomfortable situation, knowing that he was struggling or at least not meeting the expectations that the organization had giving him a big contract uh, in Belgrade. Uh, fans are really demanding, so it was a really bad situation for Shabazz Napier. But since since I have a great scorer on my podcast and since I have a, a center who played with Shabazz in Zenit and where... Shabazz was really impressive in the preseason before he got injured. Could you give some hope for Red Star fans? Why Shabazz and how 
put Shabazny here in his best situation to perform at his level that he can that he can. Look, I think uh, for for me, he's uh, in the same level as Mike James. If he is in the shape, he's really talented. He's really skillful. He can see the court. He can play amazing. He's really really good player. I mean, he needs, I think, be free from injuries, and he needs some some playing time. I don't know, Coach Thiropoulos. I think sees him every day, I, and I hope for him, for 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 Shabazz, that he can make it because everybody now doubting him, but I see him for three four months every day and how he can play, and I hope he can show it. Already in Milan, I think he shows some some good moments and he has very good games, and uh, I think. It's even more potential because the player, which uh, I really believe that he can do the things for first of all for Red Star and himself. So I really believe in him. I think um, Shabazz is a great player. You know, I've already spoken about him you know, several times on the show. You know, I believe in his talent, his gift, his ability. You know, he can do um, offense and defense, isolation, pick and roll. I think um, he's just not playing at the level he expects of himself right now. Um, you even hear it in some of the interviews. You know, he said that he's not playing well. And, you know, he seems like he's focused on his team there and you know, he's ready to go. I think whenever you're in a city where their fans is really powerful and, you know, really engaged, you're thinking like those Greek teams, you think those Serbian teams, you know, those teams with that type of fan base, you know, any type of distraction is unwarranted. And I think um, since he's not playing to his standard that he would like, um, the team's not having that early success. The season's still young. You know, he can turn it around. You know, they can win games. There's a lot of time left. But anytime you're not playing, you know, how you're accustomed to, and, you know, those fan bases are very passionate, very vocal, and then something like this comes out, it can make life for you very hard. Um, and, you know, I know, you know, from my time in Greece, my time in Turkey, you know, a lot of those organizations, those fan bases, they want to feel like, you know, you want to be here, you're a part of them. So anything that, you know, is sounding of the opposite of that could be detrimental to you. So I think it's good that he came out and he said something too, just to, you know, squash that right where it stops and, you know, to let the fans and the people know where he stands so he can just focus on winning and playing the game of basketball. You know, that's the biggest thing, like, you know, having fun out there, doing what you got to do and, Keep in mind, anytime you change teams, you change places, it's not easy. Even though you're a good player, you know, you have talent, you have to adjust to a different style. Not only what coaches, the offense, the players around you, you know, teammates, you know, the system, everything is different. And then, you know, they change coaches again. Um, and now you're kind of on the fly again. So, you know, those aren't uh, situations that are built for you to succeed immediately, you know, when you're going through all these different types of changes. Usually uh, consistency, um, continuity are things that keep you in the flow or hitting your rhythm faster. You know, I'm not saying he won't get there. I'm just saying that these are all things that could impede that progress um, and slow down your process. So, but I do think, um, you know, just continue to keep letting him play, you know, um, you know, giving him the ball in his hands, letting him make plays. That's what you do. You know, if a good player um, is struggling, you know, you keep going to him, you know, 
I'm not saying you play him the whole game, all those type of things, but you keep giving them opportunities. You instill confidence in them. And I think Shropoulos, the coach at Red Star, will do this. Um, I think, uh, you know, he empowers his players. You know, he's an ex-coach of mine. And, you know, I enjoyed his system and it made it easy. You know, he's the type of guy, as long as you're defending and you're playing hard, you know, there will be ample opportunities offensively um, and freedom. Okay, guys, let's finish the podcast with few quick questions the first one goes to Arturo since we have a center on this podcast uh, we're really intrigued to hear Arturo's uh, ranking top three current year league centers based on their season start performance so Arturo the, the stage is yours what do you think about Chima Moneke he's a four or five more I mean Chima Moneke just in general is the guy you cannot put in any frame I mean, his game in a lot of cases goes beyond logics, you know, really. Sometimes he's playing ISO, sometimes he's shooting contested threes, and he's <laughs> making those. So, I mean, as soon as you're efficient, it doesn't matter what he's doing on the floor. Maybe he's breaking some coaches' systems or whatever, but he's he's super efficient, and he's changing the game with his energy and his unpredictability. So, I mean, regarding Moneka, I wouldn't put him in any position. So, okay, I don't know. Maybe so, it would be so, fair to put, list him as a center. Also. No, so, uh, let's put him out then, if you have this opinion. Okay, number one for me is Matthias Lesson. His energy, his uh, ability to fire up the teammates. And, okay, uh, I have now him, like let's say bigger respect because I was thinking okay in Partizan he has a big minute time great coach and everything but he came to the new team and he put his presence over there and power playing really good uh, right now and uh, I'm really like how he 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 playing and he's a big big part of uh, everything what happening now in power uh, number number two uh, is a young vessel for me how Barca starts the season, everybody was surprised. And <clears throat> Eric mentioned Kyle Hines uh, in the Milano team as the leader. I think in in Barca is Wesley is the same type of guy who who has a really big experience and his numbers are really good this season. He seems like back uh, real good uh, Jan Wesley. He hitting the jumpers, he playing amazing defense, and I really like how he plays uh, uh, this part of the season. And number three, I was thinking and thinking, you know what? It will be a surprise for you guys. Uh, I gave it for Vincent Poirier. Because, mm, I was thinking that too. Been yeah, that. because he, he was the part of the Real Madrid team on the first part of the season, which is was amazing. For me, he was big surprise. No, I know that he is very good player from Basconia uh, years and everything, but what impact he gave to Madrid in the start of the season was amazing. And you know how important to start the season, uh, let's say when you're big guy, main big guy, Tavares, not performing well and you are stepping up for him and making the team play amazing and he was the big part uh, of Real Madrid's successful start I think so those three guys are really really uh, impressive from the from the start of the season 
There are no Olympiago centers in the top three. Not surprising I mean, coming off an expat hockey <laughs> player, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it, <laughs> no, it's needed. Like, you know, but of course, we can mention Milutino for fall, but uh, I have my top three picks and I, I'm, I'm happy with them. Yeah, I mean, both Olympiagos guys, they're really good as well. But you mentioned three solid picks uh, on your list. On your list, I already tweeted about Jan Vesely. It feels like he's making every right play on the court, and it's not necessarily that he's having some impressive, excellent numbers in efficiency or in, in points. Although he's having solid numbers, it's all about him doing all these right plays. And maybe a lot of people expected Billy Hernan Gomez to be that main facilitator for Barcelona, but I mean, I would say that so far, Jan Vesely's impact on, on that team was was bigger and more important. And since you have such two great centers on your team, I mean, it's it's a huge advantage that you have uh, in the EuroLeague. And if, if, if let's say, we count Chimo Monek as a center, you would have included him in, in your top three? I mean, you you must to give credit for him, you know. The, I think he is most valuable player maybe right now. And the guy who comes from Monaco, you know, and is the good example how uh, right uh, team with the right uh, game type is uh, completely changing you as a player, you know. And it's all about, you know, in EuroLeague, you... Everybody can play. I think every every player on the roster in the special first ten teams, eight teams, everybody can play. It's just uh, you know matter of minutes and uh, game or fitting for you or no, you know. So this is this is all the difference. You know? And guys, I have the last three questions to you uh, about the NBA. Uh, I shared s- some of these clips uh, with you before the podcast, and I just want to hear what do you think, how do you feel about uh, those moments? And starting from Greg Popovich during the game, taking the microphone in his hands and urging San Antonio Spurs fans to stop booing Kawhi Leonard. What do you think of it? <laughs> I mean, it just shows uh, that uh, the respect that Pop has for his ex-players and the power and control that he has um, in a lead that's dominated by players. Um, Pop is one of the few coaches um, who still has the reins of his organization and, you know, wants to portray a certain type of um, image through the organization. I think that's just him thinking long-term. He wants his players to feel loved and respected, whether they're current players, whether they're ex-players. And, you know, when players see that, People see that, um, you know, it makes you feel good that, you know, I'm sure Kawhi Leonard was at the free throw line like, hey, Papa's a good dude. Even when I'm not with him, even when I am I left the team, I'm no longer there. Like, And as a player looking on the outside, you know, you're thinking maybe, you know, San Antonio's not a bad place. You know, you got, you know, no state taxes in Texas. Um, Mbamba is an emerging uh, star, um, going to be one of the players that changed the game. They got a very good young core. And you got a coach who's a Hall of Fame coach who's going to go to bat for you and protect you. You know, maybe Pop's thinking long term about potential recruits to pair up next to his budding star. So you just think like and that just shows his character and the person he is. Uh, but then I also think like the business part of me, he's smart. He's playing chess. <laughs> Maybe he's going to try to trade for Kawhi Leonard at some point. 
you know, uh, to to build a winning team around Vembanyama. <laughs> you know, I'm asking you because uh, I think that some Europeans that might think that oh, this head coach, I mean, Greg Popovich is, is soft. We're in Europe. We saw way worse things, and nobody was interrupting uh, games and taking the microphone. But at the same time. For instance, I, I remember there were some tweets. Oh, could you imagine Jelko Braudovic doing the same because in Serbia or just in Europe in general, it's not happening. Actually, it happened. I remember watching some ba- games or even my... No, I just watched those games uh, on, on TV. And I remember, I think it was like um, Partizan playing their home game. And I think that Partizan fans were like insulting badly the uh, maybe the owner of the Red Star or... I mean, the context was like that, you know. They were just insulting somebody during game. And I remembered, I think there was the situation where he took the microphone over and he kind of calmed their fans down. Or at least he was doing all those gestures uh, at the bench, you know, trying to say, guys, this is not needed at all and we we might be different. So it happens in Europe uh, as well. And for me, you know... The head coach protecting his former player in front of uh, their their fans. That's that's a nice uh, sign for sure. And he won all those championships. You know, played there, gave his heart and soul. I mean, you really don't boo a guy who who won for you. You know, yeah. and who's always been classy. He never says anything quiet. Never bothers nobody. So, you yeah. know, <laughs> that's not the guy you target. What do you feel? How 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 do you react watching? Russell Westbrook shouting all over the place, go at him, pointing to Luka Doncic uh, after and uh, one play. Okay, look, uh, we all know that Luka's not the biggest strength is defense, you know. But uh, I feel this kind of disrespectful a little bit, you know, because uh, you cannot, uh, you can, of course, but uh, I don't see that as a good thing to shout at and be all-star like this, you know, you must put some respect on him and okay, it's part of competition, part of everything, but we all know that is not still uh, NBA playoffs, you know, it's like, okay, regular season game and you're going like this against him. I think, look, I have uh, something a little bit uh, for him back in the next games, you know, I think it will the story will continue but it's just my <laughs> personal opinion because uh, you know Luca is competitive guy and he cannot let it like this you know I, but it's my opinion you know. <clears throat> yeah for me i like it i think a lot of times the regular season gets kind of watered down doesn't have that intensity that fire um, sometimes that excitement and i think when you get a guy like Russell Westbrook, who's competitive, who goes hard every night talking. And you know Luca's a competitor. You know, when people talk to him, he laughs, he smiles, he has his little snort, and he just takes it to another level. And I think, you know, that's what it takes to get them to compete, you know, every night. You know, not in the fourth quarter, not when it's close. Like, I want to see it from the jump ball like they like they do in the playoffs. And I know it's hard with 82-game schedule, but just seeing that they care. You know, I see Wes Rosberg cares. You know, he he wants to win his game. He wants to challenge a player. And anytime you do it to a player of Luka's stature, you know, you're talking about two Hall of Famers, Luka, Russell Rosberg, great players in their own right. You know, that's going to take 
their focus and their desire to another level. And I think it's only going to improve the quality of play. Is it a little bit disrespectful? Yeah. But I always say, if you don't want someone to talk trash, lock them up. Don't let them score. That's how you stop it. And so I'm like, when people get mad, when people are celebrating and they're playing against our team, that's what I tell them. I'm like, if you don't, if you don't want them to celebrate, stop them. Or win the game. Then they can't talk. And <laughs> that's just my mindset always. Yeah, we all know Eric as a great defender. Lockdown defense. <laughs> <laughs> 35 points. If you can't stop him, I'll score. You you, you, you score, yeah. But, but, you know, you cannot be on the both sides great. You must sacrifice something. Yeah, it takes too much energy, for sure. That's why those defenders, those Pat Beverly's of the world, those guys, they make good money so that Luca don't have to play defense. Yeah. And the first thing that comes to my mind is that I want LA Clippers and Dallas Mavericks in the NBA playoffs. I mean, that's a, that's a great setup already to have this matchup between Luka and Russell because Luka for sure is not giving uh, away this one and he will for sure remember uh, this one. So probably another rivalry is emerging as we're enjoying Devin Booker against Luka. Now it's another interesting playoff intrigue, additional spicy stuff. <laughs> And just the last reaction, we kind of covered it in the beginning, so I would change the question. It was all about more about Vembanyama versus Jokic, the first matchup. Uh, this this quick question would be, uh, let's say, forwarded uh, to Arturas. Let's say, watching Vembanyama, I don't remember if you actually had the opportunities to play against him when he was with Aswell uh, in the EuroLeague. He played a few games. But watching the player like him... And the player watching how he developed, if you would try to imagine yourself matching him up as a center, how would you try to play him? How would you try to, you know, stop his dominance? How would you try to take him out of the game? I mean, <laughs> it's a hard question right now to, to think. Uh, talking about NBA is completely different. You know, you have an open court and everything. And... Uh, it's completely different than Europe, you know. We had him in Asheville right uh, here. He was not such a big power, you know. He was young, that he young still, but I mean, he was like, coach doesn't play him a lot and everything. So you need to be physical for, with him, of course, because he just 19 right now, right? And uh, okay, but after a couple of years, he will grow bigger, I think, and I don't know how the people will stop him, you know. The potential is crazy and probably talking about uh, something that we never seen, you know. But it's still very, very early to talk about and you are comparing now him with Jokic. You don't need to forget that Jokic is probably the best player in the, in the world right now, you know, and it's... And to put these expectations and pressure on the young guy, you know, we don't need to do that. Of course, uh, he probably doesn't hear us, <laughs> but uh, in general, people in the States, uh, overseas, uh, putting a lot of pressure on him and uh, to be great. And I don't, I think he doesn't need this, like comparing with the Jokic, whatever, he just need to be himself, you know. And um, to to play 
give what he loves, you know, and, and, and be himself. And I think he have a bright, bright future. I don't know I answer on your question, how to stop him. Probably it will be impossible if he will be healthy, especially in the NBA game. But uh, how would you stop him playing national team basketball, Lithuania, France? I mean, as I mentioned right now, he is not a physical player. He is like type of pace up game and pick and roll, pick and roll, dunk the ball or okay, he can drive the ball also. But I mean, I think physicality is the issue. The biggest one, you cannot find big uh, problems with him or big disadvantages because he is skillful, he is tall, he can shoot, he can dribble, he can do the things. I don't know what you expect to say that I must say, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's probably the physicality is one issue, but uh, it, it, it developed, you know, he will develop this thing and I wish nothing, just the best for him, you know, so that's the case. And uh, uh, France national team looks scary for me. I don't know who can match this potential and talent uh, in in upcoming years, it, it looks like uh, we have a next big big team, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're already a big team, and they will stay at the top uh, for years. Yeah, Anyways, but also that... they have also that talent who also coming. Uh, this uh, big guy, Sar, whatever his name, he is also amazing talent and uh, also. This three man, uh, I mean, was also yeah, Fran- in the in the, in the Young, probably. No, he oh, was. No. It is a share. You're talking about yes, share. also. I mean, it's amazing, uh, growing talents, and uh, uh, I wish Lithuania will have something in the 10, mm-hmm. 20 years, <laughs> something similar. You gotta have some more babies, bro. More babies, <laughs> get some Lithuanian talents out there. <laughs> okay, I, that's a great I, advice. I, uh, to I, I, clo- I close my fabric with the two. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, the basketball farm is, is closed. Yes. Okay, guys. Thank you all. That's a great uh, advice and wish to everybody that are listening to our podcast, make more babies uh, to, to produce talents, at least in Lithuania or wh- wherever you're uh, hearing the podcast. Uh, that was a nice two-hour conversation with you guys. That's, that was a nice pick-and-roll pair, I would say. So thank you both for, for being there. Thank you guys for having me. You have a great season, Eric. Uh, stay healthy and best luck of you, okay? Thank you. Always a pleasure. Good to work with you. Who knows? Maybe (laughs) one day we'll be teammates in Japan. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome. You you never know. They like old man, huh? (laughs) 